Hello and welcome to another episode of Checkpoint, the podcast highlighting and telling the stories of influential leaders in and around the sports industry. Today, we are excited to welcome our next guest, Josh Perry, to the show. Josh is a former professional BMX athlete and and multiple brain tumor survivor who is now a certified health coach and motivational speaker with the main objective objective of getting folks to see through his lens and use the same mental tools he did to face their own unique challenges. His story starts on Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and is full of highs and lows, taking him from the world stage of BMX with the Dave Mirrors of the world uh, to the sudden news of finding out that he had a brain tumor. Uh, This story of overcoming adversity and truly embracing one of my favorite mottos, you reach one, you teach one. Uh, Josh currently resides in Durham, North Carolina, but for the next 45 minutes, he's going to be sharing his story with us here on Checkpoint. Josh, my man, welcome to the show. How you doing this morning? Thanks, God. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'm doing great. And that, that was quite the intro. <laughs> man, we are, uh, we get that feedback from everybody. You know, we're trying to really shake it up, make our guests feel special. Um, and I mean, look, it's just, you know, scratching the surface with some of the reading that I've done um, through your journey. And, and for all you first time listeners, you know, Checkpoint, we're going to take the next 45 minutes um, and really start to get beneath the surface, understand Josh's story, you know, how we got here, what he's currently doing, you know, with his motivational speaking and his health coaching uh, and, and where he sees this world going uh, from a sports lens, from a professional lens. So, uh, Josh, we have a ton to unpack today. Let's start with who are you? What was life like for you on Cape Cod? Yeah, like we were talking about earlier, you know, Cape Cod is interesting because people think about Cape Cod and they usually only visit in the summer or they've seen photos or, you know, the movies of Cape Cod scenes and it's the beaches and the nice weather. But when you're there full full time, you're there year round. And for me, I was there 17 years, born and raised. The winters are pretty desolate. It's pretty gray. It's, you know, there's not much going on. And so for me, I found myself playing basketball. I grew up in a bowling alley, so I was bowling from a young age. And BMX, you know, came into my life as a part of the journey. But then obviously in the winters, the parks closed down because they're outdoors. But thankfully, we had like a small indoor park out in uh, Bourne. And uh, that was that was pretty fun. But but yeah, man, my, my journey starts in Cape Cod and BMX took me around the world, literally, but also to where I reside today in North Carolina. Love it. Love it. Now, I'm curious, right? So I grew up, you know, back when um you know tony hawk was the deal like i mean it was on playstation one that was the move um but there was always a sort of a different stigma around skateboarding and bmx and you know scootering like you know uh, aside from the traditional mainstream sports of football baseball etc what was that like as you were coming through grade school um you know did you sort of embrace that mentality of like hey like this is just what i'm gonna do for fun or did you always see it as a professional avenue what was the mentality towards that so uh, for me i was i was playing baseball i was playing basketball you know i was i was trying to do anything i could skateboarding rollerblading and then when bmx came into my life as more of like like more than just an interest it became something i was really passionate about it became an obsession to where it was my sophomore year of high school, I stopped playing all of their sports and focused 100% on BMX. And there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of on both sides. There was a lot of support, a lot of interest, and there was a lot of like hate and negativity or like, what are you doing? You're not gonna go anywhere. Um, but thankfully, you know, my immediate network, you know, my, my family, you know, my parents, my brother, and then um, some other relatives and then some close friends were all really supportive of it. And they just were like, yeah, I mean, my parents especially, like if you get your work done, you get your school work done, you know, you're riding, you're having fun, you're staying out of trouble, it's keeping you focused, like, great. And so they were driving me around the country to compete, um, or yeah, I guess so, around the East Coast to compete, yeah. like New York, Pennsylvania, things like that. And then, uh, yeah, they just really supported me. So for me, it was just, what really appealed to me was, there was moments when I was playing basketball where I missed a shot, I messed up the play, whatever it was, I got scolded for it, I you know, was embarrassed, you know, the other teammates were like, oh man, what'd you do, like, things like that. But with BMX, it's just like any individualized sport, like you take it to where you want, like you get to the level that you want to go with it and everything is on you. And I felt like the team was let down by me. So it wasn't just all on me. Everyone's success was predicated on my efforts and my success with that. So for me, it was just like a different outlet. It was like, it was an avenue for me to express myself creatively in my own way, for me to 
you know, clear my head. It was really an escape. You know, I had a, um, a negative, you know, like a little bit of a negative upbringing with a stepfather that was, you know, mentally and physically abusive. So for me to escape and just to, you know, express myself and be free was really freeing in, in its own. And then it just, like I said, it just took over. It just, I started winning amateur contests in the local area, then the regional area, then the amateur contests in the national ranks. I was 17 and started competing pro and was traveling around the country and making a little bit of money. And um, yeah, so it just, it, it started with an interest and then it, it just grew to an obsession and then it just became everything I wanted to become um, and to create this future by doing. Wow, man, I gotta tell you, I mean, it's, this is so fascinating. I mean, I, I watch what you guys do on the bikes and I got to tell you, like, I mean, you think that football and all these other traditional sports are crazy. I mean, you go up there and you throw that bike around four times <laughs> and land it. I mean, it is just something different. Um, now I'm curious, you know, you're going through these amateur events, you're, you know, you're sort of on the circuit, we'll call it. Um, but there's no BMXing in college, right? So yeah. you get to this certain point where, what was that transition from amateur to pro like and, did you ever entertain going to college and doing this as a hobby or sort of put us in the mindset of that transition there for you? So I'll answer the second part first. And that I went to a technical high school in Harwich on Cape Cod for landscaping. Cause I, right before high school, I started working for a friend of the family, his landscaping business. And I was making really good money. I really enjoyed being outside using my hands, taking something and then critiquing it and making like a before and after an improvement. And I was like, Oh, well, I know about you know the tech high school. I can go to school less. I can learn how to you know, run my own business. I can make money. And by tenth grade, I was in the co-op program where I was going to school for two weeks academics, and then I was going to work for two weeks. And I was getting credit as well as learning and getting paid, and then using that money to compete and to just whatever I wanted as a teenager. And so I never. I originally had this idea when I was like thirteen. I was still playing basketball. I was like all in on basketball. I was like, I'm gonna go to college. I'm gonna go to North Carolina because that's where Michael Jordan went. And I'm gonna, you know, my goal is to be in the NBA. And then that didn't last long. You know, thankfully, me being like five eight, five nine, it worked out probably in my favor. But as soon as BMX came in, and then as soon as landscaping came in, the idea of college never really sat well with me. It never really was in my mind. And my family, my mom, you know, she went back to school and put herself through college, became a phlebotomist. And but like other than that especially on Cape Cod, it's really trade driven. Like a lot, like it's all like electrical and plumbing and construction, landscaping and welding. And if you do want to, you know, work in a hospital setting or be a lawyer or whatever, like you go off Cape, you go to school out there and that's what you do. So for me, I was raised with like working with my hands and I was an athlete. I was, you know, my dad still plays as many sports as he can, you know, almost 60 years old. And uh, so college was never really a focus of mine. It was never really even an idea. I just kind of let that go after like seventh grade, eighth grade. And um, so the transition for me was really easy because at the time I was working full time, two weeks on, two weeks off in school. And then during the summer, I was working all summer and then I was competing and I was riding for, you know, five hours a day um, that I could, you know, on the weekends, things like that. But then, you know, during the week, it was like, go through school, go straight to the skate park, do my homework, maybe, that night or on the way to school or in <laughs> classes. Uh, and then when I was working, you know, I was working, you know, eight to 12 hours a day, given the day, and I'd be at the park at least two hours at night and then go to sleep and do it again. So I was obsessed with it, but I believe that's what got me to the level I'm at today. So yeah, the transition was just really easy for me. And because of the work ethic I had, because of the responsibility that my parents were giving me and I was showing them I could be uh, responsible with that freedom that they were giving me, it just made sense for them to keep supporting me. And then that's what led me to dropping out of high school my junior year. Um, or actually, it was like the summer. I didn't even go to my senior year. So it was like finished junior year. And then I was off to North Carolina out here in uh, Greenville, which is like an hour and a half east of where I am today. And just started the path with the support of my parents, thankfully. Love that. And and now I'm curious, right? Because I took the more traditional route. I played collegiate football. Um, so that's pretty linear in scope there, right? So, so now you're junior in high school, you step away from the Cape, you're going to pursue this full time. Is there a coach? Is there an agency? Like, do you just go to the park by yourself? What What is that experience like just in such an individualized sport? Yeah, so now there's there's coaches coming up. I've actually been, uh, I was working with a Slovenian athlete who's like four, 13, going on 14. We first started working together two years ago before COVID. 
And uh, so you're seeing a lot of that now with the Olympics getting involved, which unfortunately this year was going to be the first year BMX freestyle, not racing was going to be um, a sport. And so that's kind of a bummer, you know, but there's other things going on that's, you know, um, more profound and important. But uh, when I got into it, man, it was, there was no roadmap. There still isn't really a roadmap. There's still no clear path to take other than what you observe and the route you want to take. So for me, I grew up, so there's multiple disciplines of BMX, we should say that. There's racing, of course. That's been Olympics, like the last two or three Olympics. Then you get your street riding, which is like the handrails and the riding in the streets and grinding and things like that, jumping down stairs. Then you got dirt jumps, pretty self-explanatory. You got the vert ramp. You got what I competed in was like the park. So you got all different kinds of ramps and obstacles. Then you got the the uh, the mega ramp, which is the big roll into the 70-foot gap and the 24-foot quarter pipe. So there's there's multiple avenues in terms of discipline that you can participate in with BMX, but then to get to one level or the next, like there's no clear path. There's no, there's no book as far as I'm aware of other than like some <laughs> autobiographies. And there's just, there's no, there's no participation in school. Like, you know, if I had an opportunity to go to college because of BMX, I probably would have stayed in school. I don't know, maybe because I was also working, I was being trained to like run my own business. I really like that. But yeah, that, it just, for me, it was just observing. You know, I was watching all the videos. I was getting all the magazines. I was seeing people are doing competitions. Oh, there's sponsorships. Oh, they're creating videos. And back then, web videos weren't really a big thing like today. Now, <laughs> it went from DVDs where you'd film like years at a time to put out this project to YouTube and Vimeo. So it's like, oh, web videos now are coming out more often to like once every quarter or a month to Instagram and Facebook and Twitter to where it's like dudes are putting out never before done clips in a day and they're not saving for anything. And so it's still, there's no, there's no magic path. There's no understanding. And that's what I've tried to do with, you know, mentoring younger riders and just sharing my journey. But for me, it was just observing, I'm going to do that competing amateur. And then like, Oh, I can, I can step up from here. Cool. And then um, at the time there was an amateur contest series called the free flow tour, which was the, the step below the do tour, which was the main competition series we had back in 2006 to 2014, I believe. And so I think it was 2006 that year I competed in the amateur series, did well enough that they accepted me to the, the pro ranks the next year, which was my junior year. And so that was just, I just observed, I modeled and I worked and it was successful. And wow. that's what I'm doing today in similar, similar path with uh, other avenues that I'm taking in terms of my business. I love that. And we're going to, and we're going to get to those, you know, here in a second. And, and, you know, we're going to jump ahead a little bit in, in the way that I typically do this, but, but you bring up an interesting point, right? That transition from DVD, almost VHS style of, you know, two years of content to now real time, Hey, we're dropping tricks that no one's seen before. What has that evolution of technology done for the exposure of BMX and, and the sport as a whole? I think it's just magnified everything. And what I, what I mean by that is this magnified the, the possibility because of the belief. And like you see something that's been done, you have this somewhat, if not a full belief that it's possible for you too. And that's what was in the magazines, the VHS tapes, which I still have a couple that I've saved from back then and DVDs, which is still like, it's a weird thing that DVDs are even, you know, old now, but, um, it was just it was just seeing these things and like your initial interest in something it's you're you're seeing it for the first time so you're like oh this is cool i want to try it and if you stick with it long enough you progress and so i think the transition today from you know waiting for a magazine to come out or a vhs or a dvd or even like a web video but seeing things in real time with lives or just like hey i filmed this today here's a post on instagram or something like that I think it's just magnifying the, the belief in people because you're able to see what this kid out in Slovenia, for example, in my experience, yeah. um, is doing. And then 14-year-olds in America are like, oh, that kid over there is doing that. Or like there's, there's athletes coming out of South Africa that are doing you know, amazing things on their bikes. But it's just being able to spread that in real time and just for that to grow in the belief. And you see that with like, you know, with people that are getting interested in mindfulness and consciousness or with health or business, like anything. It's the fact that you can travel through time that quick with a, just a text or you're receiving information to your phone out of the air and you're like, oh, cool. I'm going to go try that now. When before you'd have to wait for the next business uh, book to be written or that magazine article to come out. So I think it's just magnifying 
the possibility and the belief because we're just seeing it real time now. Yeah. Now, now you bring up mindfulness, you bring up, you know, some of these like more buzzwords, which, you know, you're focusing on today, life after sport, uh, making that impact. Do you see um, with the exposure of what's going on in BMX, um, given that platform that now athletes are now starting to be more open and vulnerable? Because I mean, let's face it, you guys you know, have heavy impact. You guys have, you know, big falls that, you know, really do concussions, things of that nature. Do you find that sport becoming more vulnerable with the platform as we're getting some of this stuff in real time, or is that still uh, a progression there? I mean, I'd say yes to all of them. Like I'm seeing it. It just, it's, I think with the power of social media and the internet, you're just seeing more of the people that were vocal before. Mm. Um, for, for me, I was I was kind of pushed into being vocal starting in 2010 when I was getting interviewed about going to the brain surgery and the brain tumor diagnosis. And I was 21 and I wasn't really wanting to share. I felt embarrassed. I felt weak. I felt broken, things like that. But just out of the support in the community, reaching out to just seeing what I was doing and just seeing if I'd be interested in sharing, I started noticing it was helping people. So I took it upon myself to want to share more because I saw people benefiting from it. And then now today, anything you see on my social media is really relevant to things I'm working through and I'm wanting to share. Um, and so with that, I think it's just personal. Like, I think it's just very individualized in terms of the experience someone has that makes them want to voice up about something. Cause I, I talk to so many people in general that are passionate about things and they're like, Oh man, people aren't going to want to hear from me, you know, or they're not going to agree or they're going to think this or that. And they don't share when, you know, some people could have a profound effect on the community. And I see this a lot with celebrities that I've been told about that got diagnosed with a brain tumor. And it was found out later on after they had, you know, a family member had passed from it or they, you know, finally something leaked. And it was like, man, like if that person could share, they have such a large platform. So many people could be inspired to believe that it's possible for them to overcome a challenge, let alone a life or death situation. And at the end of the day, I think it's just very it's very individualized and some people want to share. Some people are reluctant to share. Some people avoid it. Social media, I think just broadens or just um, heightens the the light or the, like it just turns the volume up on the people that are sharing. That's, that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, look at, I would agree. And I can only say just from, you know, the short little time I've been doing the podcast, I mean, same thing. I, I mean, I've always had a voice and now everybody does have a platform. So being able to, to put, yourself out there as vulnerable as you want to be it, it resonates with folks that go far beyond what i think we can conceptualize in our brain and um you know with our own platforms which is really interesting and so and so you you jumped ahead on me but now you know you sort of the cat's out of the bag right so you're, you're having this professional career it seems like things are just on hockey stick growth for you right things are really taking off Talk to me about, you know, what was it like when you found out you had a brain tumor? How did you figure that out? Um, you know, what was that experience like as an athlete going from such a high to like now staring this in the face? Yeah, so it was April 2009. I won my first pro contest. It was my third year competing professional uh, or professionally. That same weekend, I, I landed a trick that I invented and did for the first time in the best trick contest that won me a Harley. And so I came up on the most cash I'd ever had. I decided to take the Harley with my buddy who was like super into mechanics and all this stuff who helped me sell it as soon as I got it when I got home. So I used that to, you know, pay bills and just live off of. I was like, no, I'm not going to ride that and risk, you know, affecting the, the, the value in it. And I never really ridden a motorcycle before. So that was in April that kicked off the season. And then I was, in, um, that was my third year competing on the do tour as a professional athlete rode X games for the first time. And that was a dream come true. And it was just like, it felt like my rookie year, but it, it was my third year competing, but it was just, I had all this success and all this momentum and hype being built around my name, what I was doing on my bike that it just was awesome, you know? And I ended the year as one of the 16 athletes that Dave Mira personally invited to his personal training facility to have a contest to, to end the year. And so that, that was another amazing thing. And um, so that, that year was just huge. And I was getting super um, stoked for, you know, 2010, I was in the foam pit and I was training and I was just practicing all these new tricks. And it was March of 2010, where I had learned a variation of a backflip tail whip. And the easiest way to explain that is I'm doing a backflip, but I kicked the back end of the bike around 360 while hanging on the handlebar. So 
people have probably seen that trick, but you're doing that while flipping. And I learned how to do that, but also rotate 180 degrees so I could do that on a quarter pipe. For those that aren't familiar with a quarter pipe, you go up and then you come back down it. So you have to spin 180 degrees to land forwards again. When I tried that for the first time out of the foam pit, it was on a slightly smaller transition. So it was, didn't have as much pop to it. So I tried to yank to flip and spin harder to make up for it. I overcompensated, got launched on my bike, hit my head, got knocked out, and had to get an MRI to check for a TBI, you know, bleeding, swelling of the brain, things like that. The backstory to that, it was over a year leading up to that moment where I got into the urgent care, the emergency room multiple times, the complaining of debilitating headaches, migraines, vision problems, vomiting, nausea, like all these things. And I kept getting denied scans, even though I was asking for them with paid for health insurance, told me, you know, you're, you're in shape, you're young, you're healthy, basically judging by my cover. And then, oh, blood work doesn't show anything abnormal. You just have headaches. Here are some pain pills. Come back if you need more. So that was the go around for about a year, a little over a year, up until that moment where I hit my head, had to get an MRI. Wow. And that's when they looked for a TBI and they accidentally found a massive brain tumor on the left side of my brain. It was about eight centimeters long, four wide, four deep, pushing from the layer of my skull into my brain. So it was taking up a large portion of uh, real estate in there. And that, that was the moment where I, get, I got a lot of clarity from the suffering I'd been going through for over a year. But also, like you said, it was just like this, this moment of living my dream and then beyond what I fathomed was possible for where I was, you know, now traveling internationally, competing, I've created a name for myself worldwide and I'm doing what I love and getting paid for it and being sent around the world. And then all of a sudden, it, what I initially thought when I was told I had a brain tumor was I'm dead. Like everything I'd worked for was about to be taken away from me. All the people that doubted me or gave me shit about it were about to be right. You know, I, I just felt this, this instant sense of victim mentality, you know, like I was asking myself, like, what did I do to deserve this? I asked the doctor, like, why is this happening to me? You know, and I asked myself internally, I was like, am I a bad person? Like, what the hell? Like, and that, so it just seemed like everything was going great and beyond what I thought was possible. And then it was about to be taken away from me on top of a death sentence. And I was just turned 21 a couple months prior. And I was by myself for that diagnosis because I'm living in North Carolina now. My family was up um, north. And so I thought it was a TBI checkup. And then I got hit with that news. Wow. Um, man, you can read whatever you want. You hear that in first person, Josh. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm floored and I'm trying to put myself in like, what is that like, right? You have such conflicting emotions, right? You're, you're living your dream. Now you get this this diagnosis that seems bigger than life. And, and like you said, a death sentence. So, so now you're, you absorb this, right? I mean, obviously one of the unique things about BMX is like, it's all you, as you were saying, yeah. right? So you develop a lot of these um, mechanisms to get yourself in the right mentality for sport, regardless of what's going on in life. You leave the doctor's office, you, you get this diagnosis. What does the next stint look like? How do you balance where you're at in your professional career and now this health diagnosis that's on the or that's present? Yeah, so it was about a week and a half from diagnosis of surgery. And thankfully, I was an hour and a half outside of uh, Duke University. So some of the top neurosurgeons in the world reside there. And Dr. Alan Friedman, who is who uh, performed surgery on me. So I was in good hands, and so that that helped reassure me. But it was about a week and a half between diagnosis and surgery, and during that time, I started to shift my my perspective and my focus and my intention. Um, I could have easily thought, you know, what if I don't wake up? And I did originally. You know, I thought I was dead. I didn't even give myself the chance of like, what if I don't wake up? I thought I was dead right away. I didn't know, you know, benign versus malignant. I didn't I didn't know anything besides, oh, I had a brain tumor. And in my past experience and movies or whatever, that means you're about to die. And so that's, that's what I started with. But then something that's become very important to me, and which is what I um, support my clients with, is what I put out on social media, is what I continue to learn, absorb, and practice myself, is the power of modeling. And I break that down, especially uh, I have a chapter in my book called Virtual Mentors. And why I share so much and share so openly about anything and everything is because learning what other people that I viewed successful in their area of life went through, did, how they overcame things, you know, what worked, what didn't, I've been able to reverse engineer that into my life and apply it and then just play with it, see what works for me, what doesn't work. And so as I continue 
having these experiences of things that work well for me, whether it's nutrition, it's mindset, it's exercise, it's you know business, whatever, I share that. And in my hopes that someone will pick up on it and apply it to their lives. So it was, it was just seeing that people like my mom had battled colon cancer for 10 years and is alive and well today. Uh, Lance Armstrong, he went through brain, lung, and testicular cancer and another cyclist. That was one of the most profound pieces to me that helped me focus on what I wanted in my life and the fact that I believe that I could overcome something was seeing Lance go through, in my mind, so much worse of a situation than I was facing because mine was said to be benign. He was going through malignant cancer, brain, lung, and testicular wise, but he came back to compete at the level he did year after year, whatever people's opinions of how he did it, unless you've gone through that experience, just to get back to that level is a, is a, is a, miracle in its sense or its, its own and so for me was seeing oh my mom overcame something like this lance overcame something like this and he's another cyclist and then the bmx community worldwide you know was reaching out to me you know create a lot of friends you know that competed or just people that followed me and were just sending me messages text messages and facebook messages, all these things just like you know hang in there you know you got this you know bmx is around you and then you know people were putting out on the bmx media different articles about me and people were sharing their support and it, it was an amazing beautiful thing and i just kept building this belief that like hey like i can do this you know and i i had my my friends that knew me well and knew what i've overcome in the past they're like dude you're josh perry like you you have to be able to ride your bike again like you're gonna be good and so for me it was just seeing people that i could model having that support, but most importantly, it was choosing where I put my intention, where I put my focus and energy. And that was, like I said, I could have said, but focus on what if I don't wake up? But I decided to focus on, well, what's life gonna be like when I wake up? Key, key words is when instead of if. And when I wake up, what am I gonna do differently? How am I gonna approach my life differently? How am I gonna approach riding differently? And so I started creating all these new realities in my mind. And that I believe is what allowed me to feel that it was possible come out of surgery to begin with alive, despite the risk of being paralyzed, having a stroke, bleeding out and dying on the table, all these things. And it allowed me to have this, this mindset that, oh, I'm gonna treat this like an injury. Yeah, I've had injuries before, it shit happens. You know, I can't control my reality, but I can control how I respond to it. That's a big proponent. Uh, I'm a big proponent of that in my life today. And what I share is like, you can't, you can't control outcomes, but you can control how you respond and how you choose to act in your everyday. And so back to those things, it was modeling and this focus that I was specific about that I believe allowed me to overcome and then get to where I am today that provided people with an interest in hearing what I had to say. And now I'm learning that there's so much in that because at the end of the day, everyone wants to believe that they can do something that they want, that that overcoming a challenge is possible for them. That's what I've gone all in on today and why I share so openly. I mean, that's, uh, you know, ultimately, I think the vulnerability, the authenticity that you bring to the conversation is just, it's quite remarkable. And, and I mean, you know, you bring up Lance, right? Like until you're in that scenario, you don't really know what it's like. And, and to think that you were, you went from high to perceivable low, right? Like, I mean, you just watched life just sort of halt and and then to start to spin up these ideas in your mind of you know what is what what am i going to do with this opportunity right because with every turbulent situation you know it's either you know, there's an opportunity that comes out of it yeah. it might not be what you thought but there is an opportunity and so um so so i'm really curious right so now as you're going through this progression was bmx getting back on the bike was that a thought when you're going through you know post surgery going through recovery or did that goal shift for you and that was the thought from day one as yeah. soon as i collected myself and you know because obviously the emotional aspect of that diagnosis consumed me but then as i you know started to release some of the emotions and i started to like oh someone's overcome this oh yeah my mom like lance like oh the bmx community is behind me like all these things it, it again i could have chose what if i don't wake up but i decided to choose what to focus on when I woke up and that was BMX. And I, I was telling myself when I was talking to my friends and family, I was like, I'm not ready to die. So like, that's not even a question in my mind. Like I'm not going to focus on that, but like, I'm not done riding. Like I've done so much, but I still have more to do. And I, I competed for another six years or seven years after that professionally. And then I rode in another 
I think I rode, um, yeah, 10 years up until uh, this January, I decided to take some time off, ironically, right before COVID, just because I, I wasn't competing professionally, and I just want to focus on what I'm doing today. Um, but yeah, that was that I believe. And that's why I think it's so important for people to have things that they're passionate about, whether it's a hobby, it's a business, it's, you know, a, a dream to make something their, their career, because that level of intensity with my focus and that level of energy going to that focus, it, it allowed me to block out all the noise that was saying I can't do something or like those negative emotions, those limiting beliefs, like none of it had room, especially fear, um, especially when your life's on the line. It's like you have literally nothing to do but believe in yourself if that's what you want. And it's really easy for people to give up and to be like, oh, like this is just how it's going to be or like I'm not going to be able to get that job or make that that team or survive this challenge. Um, but when you're so focused on what you do want, those negative emotions, limiting beliefs, they don't have room in there anymore. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I had one choice. It was have surgery and potentially live or don't have surgery and for sure die just a matter of when. And so I just went all in on like, what do I want? And that's a big, big thing for me today. It's like anytime I feel these negative emotions, anytime there's a limiting belief that comes up, it's like, all right, this is just information. Like, what do I want? Well, if I want the opposite of this, what am I thinking about that's creating this? Oh, I'm thinking about the doubt. Or I'm thinking about what I don't have that I want or like what? And it, it's simple. It's not easy because we're human beings. We're emotionally attached to past experiences that can continue this feedback loop of providing this reality that we're in. But as soon as you can step out of that, which is what I talked about mindfulness, and just be aware of what you're thinking about, be aware of what you're feeling because of what you're thinking about, and then be aware of what you're, how you're behaving because of what you're feeling from what you're thinking. When you can just observe, then you can make conscious decisions about what it is that you want. And I learned that unconsciously 10 years ago because I was forced into doing that from a place of life or death. Well said. I, I mean, and that what a what a unique experience. And I think, you know, it's just, uh, you know, an individual like yourself that had such experiences leading up to that, um, going through something so traumatic, and then not only just fulfilling your BMX um, adventures, but now taking it and spreading it the message to everybody, because you do, you know, circling back to earlier in the platform, or excuse me, early in the conversation, we do have a platform now to tell these stories, we do, it is more real time. So um, really, really interesting. Now, now it wouldn't be a true checkpoint if we didn't really start to see like what you're doing now and where you see this thing going. So, so got an understanding of how you got here, the adversities, the trials, the tribulations. Talk to us a little bit about the, the mental coaching side of things, the motivational side, the health coach. What is, what does Josh do now professionally? Yeah, so it was uh, February 2017, third brain tumor diagnosis resulting in me living with four tumors today, two on each side, and that's another story of its own, but I live with four that I've been controlling um, or doing my right best. Right now you live with four? Yeah, yeah, wow. so I've, I've, um, I've taken an approach to my lifestyle to manage them, and so year after year, MRIs check out that no progression, so it's been amazing. Um, but starting off 2017, I was coming off of my best season uh, yet in 2016 after an ACL reconstructive surgery at the end of 2015. So I had like two months back on my bike before I started competing again, which was really, now that I look back on it, phenomenal because all the other guys that were competing were just competing throughout the year and training throughout the year. And I was doing rehab for four months and then back on my bike for two. Um, so that was, that was an amazing year. But then coming to 2017, I got a third brain tumor diagnosis, which wasn't going to stop me from competing. But as, as that, like, the information just kicked in, I just started thinking, like, well, what can I do with this to help myself and help other people? Because I had already been you know, sharing. I'd gone through a health coaching certification program three years prior to that. And I was just like, man, like, I don't feel that fulfilled with BMX. And people, I started understanding, people don't care how well I do at a contest or if I do compete. They don't know unless I tell them. Like, you know, BMX isn't that big. The media around it, it's not that big. So people just care about the fact that I'm getting up and I'm doing what I love. And then I'm sharing these stories and these experiences to help inspire new perspective in other people. And that's what I was going all in on. So when the third diagnosis came about, I was just like, man, like I gotta do something that's gonna help me and help other people. So I decided to walk away from competition 
and no plan, no strategy, but I was like, I mean, I'm gonna start, gonna start helping people. And that's when I took my health coaching certification, the things I was learning about mindfulness and all these things and put them into a package and started coaching people. And at the same time, when I was diagnosed a third time, they told me they thought it was a genetic disorder that was creating these reoccurring tumors. And thankfully I don't have spinal cord tumors because that's another side effect or another possibility with a specific kind of tumors that I have in my brain. But when they said genetic, it sparked this, this understanding of epigenetics I learned about in 2013 from Dr. Perlmutter's book called Grain Brain. He talked about epigenetics is basically the ability to express genes one way or another through lifestyle change. And he talked about how eating a high fat, low carb diet and producing ketones in your liver, um, also known as keto or ketosis, could help reduce the reactive oxygen species, the inflammation, and the cell signaling at a different level. And we now know like 70, 75% of our genetic expression can be influenced with the way we think, the way we move our bodies, the way we sleep, the way we eat. And I was like, man, all right, like I've been eating high fat, low carb for four years at this point from his book and it's been great. Body composition has been you know, awesome. Um, I don't feel as hungry anymore. I'm not falling asleep mid-afternoon. I'm obviously not consuming tons of sugar and alcohol anymore and crap food. And I was like, all right, I've had surgery. I've had the radiation, which was the, the second time the two areas had grown back from surgery. We used Gamma Knife, basically zapped them. They shrunk for four years. And I was like, I've gone through all that. Well, let me try and do this on my own. And what I'm learning through, uh, learning from his doctors through lifestyle. And that's when I went all in on a ketogenic diet, started tracking my uh, macros more specifically and calculating them differently, started tracking my blood for ketone markers and glucose markers, which glucose is probably the most important thing unless you have seizures and epilepsy. Um, but I did that for a year. I, I reverse engineered my path in BMX. I became friends with the doctors, became friends with the researchers, became friends with the authors and the influencers in this space and was accepted in the community with nothing but you know open arms and love. And after one and two year MRIs, there was no progression. We didn't, we didn't do anything, no, no surgery, no meds, no treatment, just lifestyle. And that solidified my belief in needing to share this with people. And so today, uh, it's been a little over two years, I've had a health coaching practice uh, or business, if you will. And I just, I, my intention is really to help people optimize their health and their performance. Keto doesn't have to be what they do. It's just something I'm passionate about. And for people that want to lose weight, you know, it's, it's a really good tool. It works really well. Um, but really what I'm interested in is helping empower people to consciously design their ideal life. Food becomes a huge factor in that. But before we even move into food, what I've learned as reflecting on my 10 years is the mental, the, the mental and emotional aspect of our be, being a human being that leads us to expressing ourselves with choices or beliefs or the external environment that we've created for ourselves. So uh, that's what I speak about. I never thought I'd be on stages around the world speaking, but that's been about a little over two years now. And um, all the things I do, whether it's speaking, it's creating content, having conversations like this, it's working with clients, uh, it, it's all geared at building this belief in people um, or empowering them to believe in themselves to become conscious. Because once you become aware of what you are doing and who you are at your core level, it makes it more possible to create the ideal life you have. But it starts with accepting where you are now has come from your past experiences and the choices you've made consciously or unconsciously. So I know that was a long-winded answer, but I just basically took my life and learned about it and then realize what I did to cause a lot of the things I did and what I've good or bad and what I'm doing today and helping people do the same to achieve whatever success they desire in any aspect of their life. And, and that seems to be a through line of, of a lot of successful folks that we bring here on the podcast where you, you have to take a step back and, and become real with where you're at. No, the, the man or woman in the mirror can't lie. And we do a lot of things in life whether that's working hard at our job or distractions or whatever that may be. And we don't always really get to that point. And, and one of our prior guests, um, you know, runs a movement, hashtag same here movement around mental health. And he, he said that, you know, until you sit in the shit and you're just there and this is who you are, the good, the bad, the ugly, you see it all. Then you get to go ahead and start to construct what you want to come from this short time that we have here as humans. That's sort of that key. And it's, and it's really interesting. I mean, I had no preconceived notions of where this was going, but Josh, that seems to be the through line, right? It's like, we get down there, we say, how can we take what we've done 
the good, the bad, the ugly, look at it, face it, feel it, and now start to go forward with it. And so I think this is just another unbelievable example where you didn't choose for this to happen, but you embraced the absolute shit out of it. And now you're embracing our motto, which is reach one, teach one, which I think is so cool. I'm going to use that to bridge here because I want to learn a little bit more about this. You have the Josh Perry Foundation. You have uh, Daily Brainstorms. Talk to us a little bit, you know, about this practice, some of the things that you're doing tangibly where folks can get involved or learn more about you. Yeah, for sure. And just you you mentioned two things that stood out to me that I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't touch upon. Go um, for it. One, one of the things is what my coach shared with me is our level of success in any aspect of our lives is predicated on our level of personal growth and, and development. So for me to have gotten to where I am today on or off my bike was um, a level of success I created with my own personal growth and development. So I was able to achieve certain things mentally and physically. Um, and we can see that pretty linear, any aspect of our life, if it's doing well, well, how much time and energy do we focus on ourselves in that department? If it's doing poorly, again, same question. And a lot, mo I'd say every time I've done this with a client or myself, it always balances out like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I need to put more effort into my being in that aspect and see where it goes. Mm. Um, the other thing you said about, you know, your, your motto with, you know, what is it? Um, reach one, you teach reach one. one, teach one. Um, to me, that success is you getting to a level of success in your life. But for me, it's that it also means to pass that down because you know, what good is it if you're just chilling and people that you care about or don't even know are, are suffering or aren't, you know, chilling or happy, you know? So for me to be successful is, is being fulfilled, but also contributing. And so that's why I think um, what you're doing is awesome. And the, the guests you've probably had on, you know, have reached some adversities and overcome them, got to this level of success and feel compelled or responsible. And that I'm speaking for myself when I say that yeah. I have to share these things. And because I want other people to win life too, whatever that means to them, it, it could mean, you know, uh, doing whatever they want, but as long as they're happy, fulfilled, then that to me is success because I'm, I'm contributing. I'm not just taking. So, so um, before you, before you get yeah. into it, so real quick, because it's funny, you know, the idea of success has been something I've been fascinated with. And, um, you know, I tell the listeners this all the time, like last year I stepped out for five months, me and my now wife went on a five month road trip, 20,000 miles across the U S and we turned off our phones, Josh, we were completely off the grid. And, I found that we were defining success in this really monetary driven reactionary state. So I have student loans, I have a car payment, I have a family member, you, you know, the list is a mile long there. When we took a step back and we were like, what do we really want from this? That was when success really started to change in form for me. And so I think that is a great summation of success, right? And I always just took that as my motto. But when you do get to a point where in life where you know what you want, you're comfortable with your story, you're comfortable with being vulnerable and, you know, et cetera, now you can start to feed it back downstream and elevate. And a lot of people think that money and success are, they need to be in the same sentence. And I'm going to challenge everybody and say that the more you become whole with yourself, money is just a tool. It helps, it gets you reach, but you can just simply start telling your story and doing some of the things that Josh has been talking about uh, and start to make impact, real impact in people's life. And then the money starts to follow organically. So uh, I'd be remiss without saying that, but really cool summation of how you see success there. I love that. Yeah, that brings up that quote, um, you know, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change or something like that. And it just, it's, it's just being real with yourself and real with your values and your perspective on life. And yeah, like that, that, that quote that my coach shared with me, you know, your level of success in any aspect of your life is directly correlated with your level of personal growth. And I think that's something that's really interesting as well. And for me, you know, success, like I said, is being fulfilled and being happy. And if I'm being stressed or in a place of lack or scarcity, that's not happiness. Um, that's fear driven. And so achieving the the level of success as I define it and sharing that like yourself, it's like experiencing these things. We're all, we all define success differently. Um, I think that, I think that's, that's everything. I, I know a lot of people with a lot of money that, 
you know, on the outside observing, just seeing their self-talk and their language or their lifestyle or their health, it's not up to par. So it's like career and finance is up here, but it's like, you know, maybe their family and their relationships are here, their physical health's here, their mental health's here. And it's just like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, you know, like you said, money is just a tool. It allows you to do cool things. It allows you to contribute on another level. But if you get all this money and you're miserable, like, what is that? That doesn't make any sense. On, on the other hand, though, if you're poor and miserable, that doesn't do you any good either. But I think it's just a frame of mind. But I think also the the reason why, from my experience, why we have these definitions of success comes from our past experiences and the way we were conditioned and brought up and what we observed and what we modeled and the emotional baggage attached to these beliefs, which is not just success, but it's our entire being and our, our ego and like all these things. And it, it creates this, this avatar that we play and we respond. And unless you're aware of these things, and unless you're aware of the emotional baggage that you've brought with you and you're not checking that baggage, you're going to respond to things and you're going to ask yourself, why did I do that? You know, or like, why don't I have the reality I want? Why do they, like, it must be nice. Like all these things because you're unaware. And mm. I think that's, that's key. It's just creating simple awareness. And then, you know, when you can go from observing to creating, I think that's a beautiful thing. And that's what I was forced to see and to do. And that's why I love having these conversations because like, I, like how you introed me, you know, maybe if someone can borrow my lens, you know, my, my glasses, if you will, for my life, just for a moment and just think about how that would feel. You know, maybe they have a new perspective on the, you know, the shit they're going through that they're making a big deal about it, which is there's no right or wrong. But like, that's why I share because, you know, at the end of the day, things could always be worse. But we're all here. So in my mind, we're winning because we're able to get to level two or level three, whatever level it is we want in our lives. Perspective is key. Perspective through all of this. And I think the more successful people become, the more they're able to not only lend perspective, but absorb perspective, whether that be through travel, through conversation, uh, you know, through random interactions. But you're going off for five months, <laughs> man. And I tell you what, like, and, and that's another conversation. We can maybe do part two of this because when you, you know, a lot of people, we, we just go with what is the path of least resistance, right? And so in order to go ahead and be a functioning member in society today, there is a level of buy-in that you have to have. And, you know, the iPhone, the Android, those, those are vehicles to get you into that digital world. But when you take a step back and you're in the Grand Canyon or you're at Crater Lake or you're, you know, in the Tetons, you just realize that there's this, this thing is so much bigger and we're still just scratching the surface. So, you know, although the problems in our own minds, you know, and we talk to ourselves more negatively than we would let anybody else talk to us like, OK, it's here. But how can I put that barrier down to start to gain more perspective and through these conversations of. We there? Yep. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. So, um, so anyways, sorry for that brief pause. Listeners, my, my mother was calling me. So <laughs> yeah, but like you said, we could always do a part two, man. Like there, there's so much that we didn't even touch upon that I, that I've gone through and that I, I love sharing because it's resonated with certain people that have experienced it and felt suppressed to share it, you know, for whatever reason. And I believe that's, you know, a lot of change can come from that. And there's other things that um, I think you and I could have a fun time chatting about. So I'm, I'm always open to conversations and um, doing follow-up, you know, um, conversations and podcasts like that. So, yeah, um, this is, yeah. this is uh, man, we can spend all day and, you know, I know we're, we're, we're flirting with time here. So, so as we start to wrap up, Josh, um, you know, a couple of things, you know, I want you to be able just to touch a little bit on your foundation, how people can find you. But before we get there, we have a question that we've been asking all of our first time guests. And so, so Josh, I'm really curious if you could share one experience or something that you've done in your life that you would recommend the listeners do or experience in theirs, what would that be and why? One thing, I think we talked a lot about it, but I think it just be become aware of how you show up in life, you know, become aware of how you talk to yourself, how you talk to others, the food you eat or don't eat this, like, become aware of, I guess, simply the way you think, the way you behave and the way you feel. If you can just start with becoming aware of those things, then you can make the other connections of like, all right, well, do I want that? Well, what do I want? Well, how do I change that? It, it just, it's a never ending road that starts with just pulling the curtain back and just observing 
who you are and being real with yourself. So I think just become aware of everything that you possibly can with who you are in your life. Boy, that's a, that's a tall ask for a lot of folks, but um, I can tell you as someone that is starting and becoming more aware of myself daily, uh, it pays dividends. So as my buddy Eric would say, sit in the shit for a little bit, because once you realize that you're there, the world becomes your oyster. And, and uh, really well said, Josh. And, and this That's I can actually you- something we'll have to talk more about, because that's what I found with so many of us. Our ego is a protection mechanism. It, it gives us our identity, but it also protects us from not seeing the shit that we've experienced or that we're experiencing now. And that's, that's a whole other thing. It's like, it's just, we're, we're like, we're designed to be safe, but that often dismisses accepting the pain we've gone through, the baggage we're holding onto, the limiting beliefs, the negative emotions. And once you can accept those, then you can change them. Ooh, that's a mic drop, folks, right there. That, and we're going to dangle the carrot because we'll definitely get back on for a second conversation to go a layer deeper, uh, you know, to really start to understand, you know, everything that you bring to the table here. So um, as we wrap up today, Josh, um, you know, the daily brainstorms, the foundation you started, how can folks continue to consume, um, engage with your content? Where can they find you? Yeah, so my, my website is just joshperrybmx.com. You can find anything about me there, um, Instagram, Facebook. It's, everything's just at joshperrybmx. Uh, but as far as the foundation, yeah, I actually partnered with what's called the Athlete Recovery Fund. And they're a nonprofit that was um, started in 2007 after a BMX rider had become paralyzed. A legendary athlete. I actually watched it happen at Dew Tour 2007. But he got injured. He's alive and well today. He's he's you know paralyzed. I think from the shoulders down. Wrote a phenomenal book. He has a phenomenal perspective on life. But um, they started to give back to action sports athletes, whether they're had a health insurance or not. Because a lot of us, you know, we have health insurance, but it doesn't cover everything. So, Athlete Recovery Fund did a lot for me in 2010 did a lot for my family to help us beyond what my health insurance wasn't helping with. And so, um, yeah, we partnered together to raise awareness, raise funds for people in need. But as far as everything else that has to do with me, it's just joshperrybmx.com and um, yeah, reach out, send me a message on either the platforms uh, or through the contact part of my website. Yeah. And, and for all you listeners, I mean, again, we're just scratching the surface here. Um, you know, Josh has an incredible story. He's doing incredible work, um, not only in the in the Durham area in North Carolina, but all across the country, um, hell, all across the world, spreading his story and just, you know, helping make this place just 1% better than, uh, than we absorbed it. So uh, Josh from Check and Checkpoint, thank you so much for coming on the show. And for all you listeners out there, this is a real episode to look in the mirror and check yourself. Josh, thanks again for coming on, bud. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate it.